Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. We're on our third night together, and I said this on Sunday, which is that I've given enough missions to know that really the Holy Spirit gives each parish something a little different. That's because although I have notes here, nothing is, nothing is really, there's not a lot on these sheets of paper. Okay, so there's a little bit, and then I just let the Lord do the rest when I'm with you up here. So it's been as much uh, a journey for me as I pray and hope it's been for all of you. For those of you who have been here each night, you're going to see tonight what we're going to really be doing is kind of integrating it back together. So you might have been like, uh, I've been Catholic my whole life, now we got this heart thing, and what about the teachings, what about serving the poor, what about taking care of, like, building homes for the homeless, like, how does this all go together then? We're going to put some of it back together, but with the hope and the intent of seeing that your heart according to Jesus, is the center of the universe. When Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world but to lose your soul, another way of saying it is Jesus saying, I'd rather have a cup of coffee with you than be able to roller skate on the rings of Saturn. You're that important to Jesus. Or another way of saying it, right, would be, When you turn to Jesus, his heart rate increases because you mean something to him. You are chosen before the foundation of the world to be alive now, at this time, at this place, which is very different than you hear everyone else being like, you know, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, God knows what he's doing. He's in charge. And in many ways, he's asking us, will you bring me, my son and daughter, will you bring me your heart? So I've been really enjoying that God has really been speaking to me when I'm not here the last few days, using his providence to show me that what we're teaching, what we're talking about, what I'm presenting up here is really everything the church has been saying. And so the first quote here is from uh, the prayers of the priest during Lent. This is during Lent. You have given your children the sacred time for the renewing and purifying of their hearts. That's the second Eucharistic preface that the priest can pray after he set the altar for Mass. For the renewing and purifying of our hearts. Now you and I know what that means way more than we did last week. And we also hear that this Lenten season is really good news then, because if it's for the renewing of my heart and yours, where I feel weary, where I feel sluggish, where I'm just following slogans and not the real cry of my heart, I'm being renewed. And the purifying here, it's important that you get these images right. Purifying is not a reducing or rejecting. You purify something that's meant to shine. You purify something that has a little blemish, but so that the overall p- 
piece of artwork can be glorious. Purify our hearts, Lord, meaning where there's wounds and bleeding, make it glorious. Does he? Easter Sunday, Jesus shows his wounds to say, look, my wounds are now glorious. Yours are meant to be the same. Come and follow me so that I can show you how to become glorious. You know, as priests often do, we try to stay up to date on what the Pope is saying. This is what the Pope said yesterday to a group of businessmen and women. If you want to be a soul or heart in the world, do not neglect to take care of your own soul. For this, we need to resist the temptation of activism and find time to reflect to think, to contemplate, not religiosity, but human interiority. He's been listening to us. <laughs> you know, it's live stream. He has a cup of coffee in Rome, and he's been listening in. I expect a check from the Pope in case he is listening, okay. <laughs> this is what we did yesterday when I walked us through a million different questions, it felt like. You gave yourself permission to actually have needs. One of your great needs in mine is time. I'm going to give a space every day so my heart can speak to me. And as I listen deeply, I'll begin to open it more and more to the mystery of the Father's love so that where I have felt like an orphan, alone and abandoned, where I've suffered from so many wounds, I can experience the tender caress of mercy. Remember, that was yesterday's big thing, is that kindness and curiosity are necessary if we're going to go in, because those are God's dispositions. And so if we're going to join in Jesus' rescue mission to transform us, we have to join in his way of transforming us, which is kindness and mercy, curiosity, and what we discovered is behind every sin or disordered desire or broken memory is a beautiful desire that Jesus always sees. He always sees the good things your heart are looking for. But here's a question that we may have, and I want to just kind of help our intellects to stay calm, okay? What about the poor? What about the dying what about like serving those who are homebound and shut-ins? Father, didn't you just turn us into a bunch of navel-gazing prayer people as if it's all about the spiritual life? What about the other things like corporal works of mercy? Aren't we meant to really get into it? Well, here's a great quote from Mother Teresa. Let us touch the dying, the poor, the lonely, and the unwanted according to the graces of we have received. What is meant to be the difference between you visiting a nursing home and a secular volunteer visiting a nursing home? Well, hopefully you are bringing them the heart of Jesus. Where? Through, with, and in your heart. What's the difference between a volunteer group in the secular world that brings food to the homeless. Exteriorly, it's the same. 
It's really good. We're different because we bring them the grace of Jesus through, with, and in our heart. We know how tender He is. We aren't just doing right actions. Remember that first night? Pope Benedict says, right, the, the Christianity is not the result of ethics, doing all the right things, or lofty ideas. This is what we're going to come up with. Christianity is the result of an encounter with a person. And then we learned in the catechism that encounter happens in your heart. And then I told us all why we don't like that. <laughs> because we have to be vulnerable. Our heart, remember I've said this the last couple nights, when you asked that girl the homecoming and she said no, where that hurt was your heart. When you listen to your favorite song on the radio and you roll down the windows and you're singing as if you were, you know, selling out Quicken Loans Arena and singing your heart out, that part of you that's alive, that's your heart. But the only thing we can't do simultaneously is be in our hearts and be in control. Either we're vulnerable or we're walled off and we're in control. So what do we bring? What is Mother Teresa talking about? What did she do that so many other groups didn't do? She brought them the heart of Christ. Where? Beating in her own heart. How do I know this? Because I could tell you all Jesus loves you. And you go, thanks, Father, that's nice. She could tell you when you throw your wallet at her. What's the difference? She lives in union. She's constantly at the font of divine compassion, tenderness, and love. So much so that one of her sisters said to her, you know, Mother, what I'd like to do is, while you guys are getting ready for your holy hour, there's so many homeless people lined up out front. I'll start feeding them and bathing them. Then when you're all done with your holy hour, you can come catch up and I'll do the holy hour later. This is a practical woman. She's thinking clearly. Mother Teresa said, you don't yet understand. You now have to do two holy hours. What do the saints know that we don't? That the heart opened in vulnerability with kindness and curiosity will fill us with divine love and compassion and then we don't have to do a lot because all the little things we do is he's just going to be pouring out of us and it touches a million hearts along the way. So, I want to begin tonight talking about a big temptation. One of the big temptations in the church is reducing the faith to a formula. All right? So what are formulas? Two plus two equals four. Great. All right? That's very true in math. How do you answer a formula to the question, uh, Dad, how do I fall in love? What's the formula for falling in love? Uh... What's the formula for knowing if I'm going to propose to this person? What's the formula for being holy? There are sure practices, just like if you're going to fall in love, you've you got to meet someone. <laughs> There's certain ingredients. But how it all goes together is mysterious. 
And one of the things that happens with us is because we live in the type of culture we do, not only do we like formulas, we turn things into abstractions and ideas. And this happens to us churchy people all the time. Things like grace, love, truth, reconciliation, holiness. These are words that we say to God, but really what our hearts mean as we say them are not even close to the reality. Lord, would you give me more grace? I need more grace. I only have seven grace units. I'd need ten. Can someone loan me a few? I worked really hard. Do I get more units today, Dad? Do you know what grace actually is? It's intimacy with God. Lord, I need more grace. Really what we're saying is, I need to be in deeper intimacy and communion with you. But what's goofy about me and about you at times, I'm sure, is, Lord, give me the grace so I can do it on my own. Lord, give me the grace so I don't have to feel how much I need you. Lord, give me the grace so I'm not aware of how dependent I am on you. Jesus will never answer that prayer, ever, ever, ever. Why? Because he loves you. He doesn't want you going away. How about love? Lord, I'm so lonely. lonely. I need some love in my life. Could you give me some love? Show me some love. As if he sprinkles love dust. And we go, ah. What we're really saying is, Lord, I need your love. I want to see how you look at me. I want to hear your voice tell me again that I mean something to you. I want to feel your body, your arms wrapped around me. We can go to, through every one of these. But truth, philosophers talk about truth, but only in Christianity does this person say, I am the truth. See, when God entered the world to communicate to us, he didn't give us a book. Jewish men and women have a book. Muslims got a book. We didn't get a book, believe it or not. We got a person, Jesus Christ. And so grace, love, truth, reconciliation, holiness, it's a person. You alone are the Holy One. We sing in the Gloria, not during Lent, but we sing it other times. You alone are the Holy One. Lord, make me holy. And Jesus is like, well, do you want to be really close? No. I just would like to be holy. Why? Oh, so the rosary group talks about me and how wonderful I am when they're not around. <laughs> he says, oh, how nice. Well, if you alone are the Holy One, when I'm asking for holiness, really what I'm saying is, can you draw me so close that I don't know where you begin and I end? Union. This is why the mystics use spouses as the best analogy. And I said last night, so in case you weren't here, I know when it comes to Pope Francis, okay? That said, he said some amazing things in my opinion as well. Here's a great quote of his. In the dense forest of rules and regulations, Jesus makes an opening through which one can catch a glimpse of two faces, 
the face of the father, and the face of the brother. He does not give us two formulas or two precepts. There are no precepts nor formulas. He gives us two faces. Actually, only one face, that of God, reflected in many faces. This was his commentary in a homily when someone, on the gospel passage where one of the scribes comes up to Jesus and says, what is the greatest of all the commandments? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and all your strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. There was a lot of commandments for the Jewish men and women. There was a lot of precepts, a lot of formulas. And into all of it, he reveals two faces. And Pope Francis goes on to say, it's actually only one, God, and reflected because we're all images of God. Are you starting to see how important the church's understanding of being a church is? It's all about a person. It's all about a face. It's all about a heart. Everything else is a means to deeper intimacy with a person. Next slide. Which means at the center of everything is person, relationship, communion. Now, I want to say something about this real quick, about being a man and being a woman. I'm not both. I don't know if you know. I am one. And I am what I appear to be. I am a man. YouTube. Okay, good. So, it is true that women seem to come... They tend to be supercharged in the area of relationship. They tend to have a master's degree in relationships just by being a woman. Not every single one, but they just tend to be pretty good at it. Men, we're in high school or middle school still. Neither one's a PhD. And even Jesus, Jesus alone shows us what true relationship looks like what communion looks like. And so, gentlemen, we still got to enter in. We still got to do this. But one time, we, what can help us realize this is that Jesus himself came to show us it's all about relationship with him. Jesus himself. So we're going to go through some scripture passages real quick. First one. Come and follow me. Not do these six things so you don't feel so guilty. No, come and follow me. I'm a person. So if you're going to follow a person, guess what that means? You get to know about him, and he gets to know about you. Come and follow me. Here's another one. He called them to himself. This is speaking about the apostles. He called them to himself before he ever sent them on a mission. Intimacy was the soil by which fruitful ministry was growing. Come to me Call them to himself. Here's another one. Take my yoke upon you. I realized just this year that in my mind, when I prayed with this scripture, I was always really not liking it at all. And I was like, I don't like this, Jesus. I don't want, I don't need to know the yoke. Life is hard enough, buddy. Right? And what I realized is because I had the image that he was taking his yoke off and being like, here. And then he got to have like a Budweiser and a hammock and I had to go to work. <laughs> or whatever drink your Jesus has. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's unfair. I don't want that. 
And as I prayed with more, I realized, wait a minute, a yoke was for two animals. When he says, take my yoke upon you, he means I'm going to shoulder it, come close to me. So as the two of us toil in this world, we're together. Don't pick up your own yoke. Don't make your life hard by yourself. Come close to me, and I will give you the yoke that I want you to bear, and we will do it together. At every Mass, the priest says, through him, with him, and in him. And then we live our Christian life as by myself, for myself, with myself. Next quote. This is at a lot of funerals. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. You guys, when we think of heaven, we think of like an amazing golf game or grandma's cookies. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to come back. And we're like, huh, second coming, a little scary. And he's like, no, you, you know me. I'm going to come and take you to myself. The one that you've been getting to know. Where? With our intellect alone? No. Where? By taking our hearts and letting him be with us. Our hearts know him. And so I'm going to take you to myself. That's why Christians prayed for the second coming. You know we used to beg him to come in the early church. Come, Lord Jesus. In fact, one of the last lines of the Bible, it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Come, Lord Jesus, again in glory. And we're all like, why are they wanting him back so fast? It always sounds so bad. <laughs> Shouldn't they wait a little bit? It's because they knew who was coming back. Oh, you're going to come and take us to yourself. You mean there's going to be an intimacy and a union that the deepest intimacy and union on this earth looks like loneliness compared to? It's going to blow our minds. Then come, Lord Jesus, come again. Here's another one. I am with you always. Give us a little breathing room, Jesus, okay? We're watching TV right now. <laughs> always. I'm with you always. And this one was from the reading this morning, actually, at Mass. Come, let us set things right. How often in your struggle with sin, in human dynamics, whether it be work, family, friends, volunteer groups in your product, you think fixing things is up to you. You think God is like, you should try harder. Go fix it and then come back to me. As if he's some like Wizard of Oz voice. And here he is saying, come, let us set things right. Let's do this together. Do you hear the heart of a father in there? Hey, you broke all, the, all mom's china. <laughs> let's go together, clean it up, and let's talk to her. You never have to be alone. Never. Never, ever. What you will humbly discover is that there's times where you will begin to notice, if you lean into this, you will sense the Lord wanting to be with you and you realize, oh, I actually don't want him. There are moments in my life where I don't want him. I'm saying that to you as a Catholic priest. And they aren't yet sin. Just like after a long day, 
you're like, I just want to watch TV and have a beer. Just, just that's it. That's all my, and you'll, I'll sense like, do you want to spend a few minutes with me? I'm, no, I don't want to spend a few minutes with you. What do I discover there? A great healing that I think being with him is a burden. I conceive that all he wants to do is take and ask more. What is that image of God? Not a father who gives, but as a boss who commands. It's very different. The images of God we carry in us go so, so deep. And between Sunday and Monday, some of those meditations, you're going to start recognizing, oh, I'm afraid because I think you're going to hurt me. Oh, where did that come from? Or I'm agitated. Why? Because I'm, I'm kind of angry at God that I feel like you just keep asking me to do too much. Or I don't want to share this with you. I don't, I don't think you're going to still love me or be good to me. Why? I don't know. And as you sit with that, I don't know where this comes from. Where? And if you sit with it long enough, you're going to rem- have this memory pop up. Oh, because when grandma died and I was really sad, people said, oh, it's because Jesus wanted her. And everyone said that because they were trying to be nice. But as a little boy, you couldn't process it. Or as a little girl, you just thought, oh, Jesus takes people away that I love. That's an actual story of someone I walked with. That as a little kid, their grandma died, and people tried to be good to her and said, oh, Jesus wanted her. That's why she's gone. And it sounds, it was sweet. The people who said that were not sinning. They weren't bad people. But seeing a little heart, what gets told to them is, oh, you mean my love and Jesus' loves are at odds, and he gets to win. And then they wondered why when they were older, they had trouble trusting Jesus. They wondered why all the pious platitudes felt so fake. And why when they came to, came to Mass on Sunday, it felt like a country club. Oh, we've got to make our best. We've got to look good. I'll say all the right things. But inside, they're like, I guess he's good, God, because we're told he's a good God. Because deep inside, there was this little memory. Or how about the guy who who was cheating on his wife. And I said, you know, what do you think Jesus wants to talk to you about in the idea of cheating on your wife? And he's like, well, nothing, because it's bad. So in his mind, he had to fix his whole life, handle everything, and then maybe he could go talk to Jesus. Behold, I am with you always. Let us set things right. If you are still emotionally and spiritually holding your breath from the time you sin to the time you go to the confessional as if Jesus can't talk to you in that middle time, let me tell you that's not true. St. John John Vianney said, the moment you sin, turn to God, say, I'm so sorry, and then get back to living with him. And then when you can, get to confession. We don't have to waste any time because he loves us. We give sin and brokenness so much power and we give his mercy a Dixie cup of power. He is mighty God and Prince of Peace. He is not scandalized by you. He's not like, oh, what? Had I known, I would have stayed up in the clouds. 
I was at a conf- uh, con- uh, conference one time. It was a very, very good Catholic conference. They wanted all the right things to be taught. They really, they wanted priests there. They had adoration there. They were doing good things. But everyone I talked to one-on-one, they were despairing. Because all the presenters talked about all the problems in the world and how everyone's colluding to make the world even worse. And guess what? They forgot about the good news. That Jesus did not come to earth out of anger. He wasn't like, all right, eight million years I've suffered with these people. I'm going down there, and I'm going to tell them a few things, and oh, I can't wait if I catch one of them sinning. Oh. (laughs) It says God so loved the world. It's not even God loved the world. That's an okay grammar. You don't need the word so. God loved the world and sent his son. That would have been a fine sentence that didn't capture it. God so loved the world. He's on our side. He's looking for reasons to forgive us. He's seeking ways to say, hey, come on. Listen, I'll tell you a story. A woman found a coin and rejoiced. We're like, what, a coin? Yes, just like when Jesus finds you, he rejoices. One sheep was lost, 99 were good. He says, which one of you wouldn't go after the one? The answer is none of us would. 99 out of 100 is an A plus any day of the week. That one is either weak, dumb, or slow. That's why it got left behind. We don't want that on our team. But what does Jesus do? He says, a good shepherd goes after that one, puts it on his shoulders, and then this is the audacity of Jesus. And he comes back rejoicing. Not like, oh, gosh, we're never going to win the game with this guy on our team. (laughs) The face of God is mercy. The face of God is love. The face of God is a person who wants communion. And this is what happens when we face the problems of the world. We all of a sudden try formulas and ideas and all these things. And here's what Pope St. John Paul II said. We are certainly not seduced by the naive expectation that faced with the great challenges of our time, we shall find some magic formula. No, we shall not be saved by a formula, but by a person. And the assurance which he gives us, I am with you always. A person. So if we, have an, if we imagine for a minute, imagine I, this is, all, this is awkward, imagine I'm the savior of the world, all right? Good news for all of us, I am not, okay? But imagine I am, all right? You don't want to be in that last pew. You're going to want to be as close to me as you can because if power emanates from my body, if the words of everlasting life come from my mouth, if my fingers can help people heal, if I can take mud and give sight to the blind, if my heart is where your heart finds rest, you're going to want to be as close as you can. Intimacy. Communion. Notice how when we go to Mass, it's not like holy zapping. 
It's Holy Communion that you receive. Why? The Eucharist is given to baptize people to deepen the union that was started in baptism. What was started in baptism? You were joined to Jesus so you could share in the life of the Father through the Holy Spirit. You didn't know this, but when you learned your very first prayer, which was in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you were professing that we have a God of relationship, a God of communion. He is not an isolated being. And then when you were made in his image and likeness, it means your life flourishes or flounders based on the depth of your relationships. So a way to say what, we not, what we're not is this slide. You're not Ikea furniture. Now, I have nothing wrong with Ikea furniture. I think at one point in my life I had a bookshelf from there or something like that, okay? So there's nothing wrong. They also have, I believe, hot dogs when you go in. There's a little place you can get a hot dog. It's kind of nice, like Walmart used to or Target. But what do I mean by you're not Ikea furniture? Open up the manual, follow the five steps, and you have a bookshelf made. That's not you because you have a heart. That's why Sunday and Monday when I was leading you in meditations, I couldn't say, do these five things and you'll be fine. I had to ask questions. I had to talk to you about kindness. We had to ask the Holy Spirit to be with us. Because lovers don't have formulas, they dance. Just like I went to the dance with Katie Sandals. That's called a callback. Right? That's when you bring something back that you haven't mentioned in a while. Okay. Listen to Pope Benedict. Life, in its true sense, is not something we have exclusively in or from ourselves. It is a relationship. And life, in its totality, is a relationship with him who is the source of life. I'm going to shift the language, but say the same thing. Life is not being an individual. Life is being an us, a we, an ours. Anyone married here knows that when you got married, what you said is, I am putting to death me, mine, I. And what's resurrecting is us, ours, we. But we normally live very differently than this. It's a quote from Jesus. Good guy to quote. Go out into the whole world baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you and I think of the sacrament of baptism right here. That's what we think of. And that's not wrong. It's where we largely get the reason for baptism. That is definitely an implication of that passage. But the word go out into the nation baptizing is to immerse. What Jesus is saying is go out into the whole world and draw everyone into God's eternal exchange of love. That's way better motive to evangelize than I can't wait to tell you how you're wrong. I can't wait to win an argument. 
I can't wait to tell my niece or nephew at the next Christmas party while they don't go to church, why it's all wrong. Is that going to draw them into the eternal exchange of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Is that going to help them learn to live with intimacy and communion with Jesus and the Father? But we who come here and profess we know the Trinity, do we live in that intimacy? Before space camp, as Father Pat said, (laughs) I saw one of my prayer journals, and that was seven years into the seminary for me. So seven years in, and I had often described prayer as one of two images. Chewing on sand and being told that that's holy, or throwing a tennis ball down the hallway, and when it bounced off the wall and came back, I had to believe it was God. Those are my two ways of describing prayer as a seminarian for seven years. Wasn't I a great little seminarian? (laughs) Oh, they're so holy. Uh, Don't read our journals. Father Pat, if I die, what happens to my journals? Burn them. Right, nice, yeah. (laughs) All my closest friends know that. So Pope St. John Paul II wrote a document called Novo Millennio Innuente. I have mispronounced that every time I've said it, so that's not even correct, but it's close enough. And the title was The Church in the New Millennium. Get that quote on. Not, not yet. Okay, good. <laughs> Third night, it's all falling apart. <laughs> it's on The Church in the New Millennium. He wrote this around the year 2000. This was Pope St. John Paul II's pastoral plan for the Church in the New Millennium. Shout out, how long is a millennium? A thousand years. How many years are we into the new millennium? 22. So it wouldn't, we should not be surprised that it hasn't come to fruition yet. Right? We're still very early on in a thousand years. But he made it very clear that the church must be a church of prayer. That we must witness to the primacy of God and his grace if we're going to have a chance at being effective, the church will always be around because of the Holy Spirit, but to be effective. And this is what he writes. To make the church the home and the school of communion. That is the great challenge facing us in the millennium, which is now beginning. If we wish to be faithful to God's plan, and respond to the world's deepest yearnings. John Paul II, Saint John Paul II, is saying what God's plan is for the new millennium is for men and women to live from their heart. Now I'm saying that because that's the whole theme of my mission, and if they don't go together, I really failed. (laughs) But also because the heart is the place of encounter. So if you don't have your heart, you can't encounter Jesus. If you can't encounter Jesus, you can't be in communion with him, which means we can't be faithful to God's plan. Remember how I said, I think the first night or second night, I said one of the nights, that our hearts are like East Cleveland? Hear me out for a second with that image. We all know East Cleveland, right? A lot of violence. A lot of broken down potholes, broken down buildings, very scary. 
a place when you're there, you're constantly nervous, you don't feel at home or comfortable. Jesus is a billionaire who wants to turn East Cleveland into fill-in-the-blank, your favorite city, your favorite town, Wadsworth, nice. And he knows how. But he can't do any of the work until we give him the deed to one building at a time. Hey, talk to me about your dad. Tell me about the things your mom said. Talk to me about the divorce you had. Talk to me about that addiction you're struggling with. Talk to me about that childhood pain when that awful thing happened to you and very few people, if anyone's ever known. Will you give me the deed to those places in your heart so they're no longer a place of loneliness and self-medicating and managing and they can become a place of communion? That was yesterday's journey. With kindness and curiosity, our hearts can open up and we can learn to receive Jesus there. And so some parish missions end with a big like, and now go do these five things. I think you know me well enough by now I don't have that. Because I never follow through on those anyway. So it's <laughs> but instead what I'd like to do is I'd like to teach you the dynamics of relational prayer. See, when we go to pray, we say the rosary. We go, oh, that was nice. I get the 14 promises. I'm very happy. And it's true. Great. Nice job. That is better than nothing. But you know when you hear saints talk about the rosary and you think, well, I don't really have that. <laughs> or we go to adoration and maybe our minds wander, so we don't know what to do, so we just fill it with a bunch of books. So you come into adoration, you have like four books. You just read a book after book after book, and you look, okay, hours up. That was good, thank you. And you go home. <laughs> we never suffered through the silence to discover what's behind this. Where you come to Mass and you're like, hope it's Father Joe because Father Pat preaches forever. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I've been waiting three nights. <laughs> no! <laughs> you're the worst. You know I love you. So, but you never, you never enter in to the transforming power. So what I'd like to do tonight is I'd like to teach you the dynamics of relational prayer. This is not a method of prayer. It's not like you could do Lexio Divina or do this thing. No, this is the dynamics of relational prayer. You probably already do some of it. I'm just putting words to it. But I have found that the more I teach this to people, I get letters People saying, that changed my life. I didn't come up with it. It came from the Institute for Priestly Formation. And they say, when you pray, you pray like a pirate. It doesn't make sense yet, but I just like to sit with it for a moment, right? <laughs> and why do you pray like a pirate? Because the acronym is R. A-R-R-R. That's how you can remember it, okay? So praying like a pirate. Father Pat? Keep, yep, just a very slow fit. Okay, the first one is acknowledge. The next step is relate, receive, and respond. Okay, these are the dynamics of any relationship. Okay, so remember that phrase, you give man a fish, 
He eats for a day. You teach him how to fish. He never goes hungry. That's what I'm doing tonight. All right? I could say a few fancy things for the last time together. It wouldn't matter. You would forget it in a week. But if I can teach you how to receive God, good. You forget me, and now you got God. That's a great thing, okay? So, <coughs> the first step is acknowledge. Acknowledging means paying attention to and accepting my interior movements, thoughts, feelings, and desires. Now, thoughts, feelings, and desires are like little clusters. Anytime there's a movement within you, it's all going together. It's not like you're thinking about what you're going to have as a dessert before you go to bed. You're feeling angry about your boss and you're desiring a vacation in Mexico. Those would be three people. That'd be very odd. But the thoughts, feelings, and desires, you just come to recognize what's happening within us. And here Deacon James Keating says this, In a culture of distractions, it requires real effort to name our interior movements. In my experience, what's really tough for me is when I'm experiencing something I've already deemed unimpressive. Right? So let's say you're praying the rosary and there's a, maybe you're doing the, what day is today? Today is Tuesday. You're doing the Sorrowful Mysteries and you, you see the scourging at the pillar. So you're praying with the second one. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're praying with the first one, the agony in the garden. And all of a sudden you just have like, you're like, I totally get why they were tired, those three guys. They just ate. Jesus is kind of the heart on, you just feel like, oh, I don't want to be talking to Jesus. He seems so intense. I want to be napping with those guys. And you realize, oh, that feels wrong. That feels unimpressive. Do you know what we do? We just kind of wall that off and then keep praying. Whoa, that was... <laughs> well, why is that a bad move? It's a bad move because if I want to be in relationship with you, I got to know what's going on with you. Think about this. If there's any middle schoolers here, I don't mean to offend you. I'm just using this as an example. You ever try to talk to a middle schooler and they have no knowledge of self yet? And so you say, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And they're like, I don't know. You're like, you don't know what you did for the weekend? Were you in a coma? And they're like, well, I guess I went to a movie. You're like, did you like the movie? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know if you liked it or not? What was it about? Stuff. <laughs> I cannot have a relationship with someone who has no personhood. What did you do this weekend? I saw an amazing movie. What movie did you see? Whatever it was, I liked it. It was an action movie and it was really awesome. Well, now him and I, or her and I, can have an actual relationship because there's a person with likes and dislikes, desires and fears, thoughts and opinions, I can actually have a relationship. God became human to affirm the human way of living. So when we pray, we have to stay human because you're not giraffes or turtles or doves. You're a human. So when you pray with something and it strikes you, you've got to, the first step has to be to acknowledge with yourself what's really going on. What are your real thoughts, feelings, and desires? Then you're just beginning to play the game of prayer. Now you're human. Now you can actually enter into the second one. To relate. Relate means to share with the Trinity honestly and consistently the content of our hearts. 
This sharing is not a rationalized or psychologized analysis of our heart, just an exposing of our hearts to his heart. All right, so when I acknowledge what's going on with me, the relating is I now show it to the Lord as it is. This is why for a long time I told people they are not allowed to ever ask the Lord for strength. Do you know why? Because you're not being vulnerable. Lord, give me strength. Why? So I can deal with my difficult marriage. Well, do you want to tell me what's difficult about it? No, I just like some strength. Thank you. (laughs) You're not acknowledging the pain, the hurt, the fear, the desires for healing and hope, the desires for revenge, whatever may be going on. You're not sharing that with the Lord so he can't speak, heal, and transform it or affirm, console, and just give you the sense that I am with you. You're not alone. I love you. So when we acknowledge and then relate honestly and consistently, it puts us in great availability before God. So we're not walling anything off. Lord, give me strength. Uh, What? For what? Well, I struggle with sexual impurities, or I have anger towards my boss, or I'm driving on 77 and I'm reckless. Well, how about talking about any of those? Or when we share our inner life with God, we don't have to be like, well, Lord, I've discovered I have this wound because when I was five, this thing happened, and I'm pretty sure after meeting with some people, this and this continued in my life, and I developed a nervous reaction to this and this. Jesus is like, what What are we doing? (laughs) I'm God. I know these things. I'm just asking, will you show them to me so that I can have access? Just like if you and I were in the confessional and we were doing healing together, I'd ask you, what's that like for you? And then I would say, what's it like for you to tell me? How long have you felt that way? Have you ever shared this with someone and they didn't receive you well? All of these things open you more and more to me. So the first two steps are acknowledging and relating. Here's the third step. Oh, there's a quote there. We'll skip it though. Receiving. By acknowledging and relating, we are able to receive all that God wants to give us to receive how he seems or what he is doing in response to my vulnerability moves us from isolation into intimacy and communion. So acknowledging gives us introspection. Relating it moves me to prayer. Receiving it, now I have intimacy. Intimacy means into me see. So what this allows us to do is sometimes God has a word for us. You share with him a difficult day at work and you felt belittled by your boss and it hurt, you're angry, you're sad, you're scared, you desire your boss to understand how good you are and how hard you work and you've shared that all with him honestly and vulnerably and now you get this image of a time where your friends surprise you with the birthday party. You're like, why is that memory coming up? (laughs) And you kind of ignore it and it keeps coming up. And you realize God is using your life story to say you're loved, you're cared for. See, God is responding to your heart 
And at this point, our only job is to receive. Here's an amazing quote. The most fruitful human activity is to work 20 hours a day. Oh, what's your screen say? The most fruitful human activity is to receive God. Where? Right where you've shared with him. Now, sometimes between the relating and the receiving, there's a time lapse that's important because in that time lapse, oftentimes we're invited to revisit the first A and the R to acknowledge what's happening with us while we wait on the Lord and relate it. Remember Sunday and Monday, I said, if nothing's happening to you, tell Jesus all about the nothing. That's what I was having you do, to acknowledge I feel stupid and bad that this is all happening. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, I have a lot of self-hatred. <laughs> Where's that coming from? Jesus, I'm really upset at myself. Look, this is all the stuff going on with me. Sometimes he delays his response because there's something deeper in you he's trying to pull out that you and I don't even know are there yet. I remember I was walking with this woman in prayer and she was saying, yeah, God's not really responding. I said, how do you feel about that? She's like, yeah, and I go, well, let's just pray. So we started praying together, and she said, she's like, yeah, he's not, he, I just don't sense him. I feel like I'm totally alone. And I'm like, keep going, keep going. Don't edit yourself. She's like, yeah, I'm just so dumb and stupid. He's never there for me, just like no one's ever been there for me. Oh, tell me about that. <laughs> tell me about that no one's ever been there for me. See, that was in her just underneath the level of consciousness, and it popped out. And God didn't want to engage because he was trying to, like a fish, pull her heart out so then he could speak into it. Acknowledge, relate, receive, and then the last R is respond. Our response is our freedom choosing to follow Jesus' teaching to abide in me. So when you receive something from the Lord, maybe it's just a sense of peace or hope, Maybe it's a word or image. Maybe it's a memory. As we sit with that, what is that gift from the Lord leading us to do? Sometimes it's an action. You know what? I got to call my business manager and tell her, thank you so much. I don't tell you that enough. You're amazing. I just had the sense I needed to show you gratitude. How did you know I needed this today? Well, I had no idea, but God told me to, so I'm here. All right? Or sometimes the response is savoring. As you're praying, you just feel cared for and seen. Like, oh, prayer actually is a thing. Oh. And you just, your response is, Jesus, I'm just going to savor this. And like a bouquet of flowers on the table of my heart, throughout the day, I'm just going to stop and soak it in. That's going to be my response to you. Or sometimes it's repenting. You know, when Jesus talks to us about our sins, we aren't beaten down. We're invited to freedom. Jesus, I'm so sorry I was envious of that person. Jesus, I'm so sorry I lied. Or, Jesus, I'm so sorry I was impatient or angry. Just, our response is repentant, whatever it may be. But see, this is a quote from Thomas Aquinas. Love is an act of the will. So we can't be passive. I've acknowledged, I've related, I've received, and I go, well, that was nice. And I walk away. That's passively receiving the gift. We have to respond to the gift. And by doing this, we pray like pirates. Arr. Now, once again, I'm saying this again, this is not a method of prayer. These are the dynamics of relational prayer. 
So you're praying a rosary tonight or tomorrow. One of the mysteries really moves you all of a sudden. May I please gently tell you what John Paul II says to do when that happens with the rosary. Put the beads down. Those of you who are like, will we come back to them? (laughs) It's okay. You're going to be okay. The goal of the rosary is a means to intimacy with the Trinity. Direct quote from Pope St. John Paul II. It's a means. So when that mystery moves you, the rosary is doing its job. Put the beads down and acknowledge what's going on with you. So let's do the sorrowful mysteries again, right? You feel such tenderness and a desire to comfort Jesus when he's being scourged at the pillar. Oh, you say, Jesus, I have this deep ache to comfort you, to be close to you. I, I, I have these thoughts of running up to you and blotting out all the blood for you. I want to be near you. You have this acknowledging and you're rece- relating it. And as you relate it, you're just sitting there. It's silent. You're just soaking it in. And you just get the sense that he's grateful that you love him enough to want that. And as you're receiving his gratitude, you just want to stay there because you say, oh, this is beautiful. Jesus, I'm going to stay here for as long as I can today. You were only playing 15 minutes for the rosary, but you had 30 minutes. She's just going to stay there until it fades away. See, you're still praying the rosary. It's just you're using dynamics of relational prayer. Or how about Lexio Divina? You're going to pray with Scripture. So you read a Scripture passage once, twice, three times a lady. Good. Okay, so you read it once, twice, three times. After that, you realize, oh, wait, the word um, fiery Gehenna stands out to you. And you're like, huh. And then your heart, you're like, I don't, want to, I don't like that at all. I don't like Jesus. You sound very mean. And uh, you just feel that. You're like, I, Jesus sounds mean, and I don't like him, and I don't want to tell people about him when he talks like this. Okay, acknowledge that. That's real in you. And then tell him, Jesus, I don't like when you talk about Gehenna. It scares me. I, don't, I think I don't want to share you with other people, and I get very nervous, and I'm also deeply afraid that am I going to end up there with the wailing and grinding of teeth. I don't like this. I don't like when you talk like this or act this way. I really don't. That is the biggest compliment you can give to Jesus because you're being honest. Everything else is phony because that's really happening in your heart. Everything else is pious platitudes and Jesus says, well, let me know when you're ready to be vulnerable because I can make you fiery with divine love and set you on fire for the whole world and fill you with glory. But in the meantime, you go ahead and say your little pious platitudes. He won't force you, but he doesn't like it. I'm telling you that right now. But if you're honest with him, oh, he's in love. You ever had someone be vulnerable with you? You're like, oh, come here. <laughs> you ever had someone like have a wall up and posture? Oh, you know, I'm doing fine today. I did pretty good at work. I worked, I ran a mile, and I'm feeling good about myself. You're like, oh, okay, I don't know what you want me to do. So Jesus, I, I don't like when you talk about this. Is that... And as you're sharing that with him and you're sitting there, maybe you receive some thoughts or a memory of like when Father Joe or Father Pat taught one time about that passage and how oh, wait a minute. I remember hearing how that was an act of love. Or maybe as you're sharing it with him, you just sense that he puts his arm around you to comfort you and say, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I love you. 
It's going to be okay. And so maybe it's the response to him after that time of dial, re, acknowledging, relating, receiving. Maybe your response is you sit with him just comforting you. You just feel his presence. Maybe it's just simply, thank you. And I just feel like to, throughout the day, I need to tell you I trust you today. So you go throughout that day every so often, Jesus, I trust you. And it's not just a phrase now, it's being born of your communion with him. So your whole day is being punctured with holiness and grace and prayer. And now, just like Mother Teresa, when you touch the poor, the lonely, and the dying, you're doing it according with the graces you have received. Yesterday I told you all your K-Pox day. Everyone is capable of God. Everyone here is capable. So it wouldn't be good if I just talked about prayer. We must pray. So, Father Pep, this is the scripture passage. It's the beginning of the first reading for this coming Sunday. I have a reason for this. If you forget about me over the next four days, maybe on Sunday you'll think about me. You can say a prayer, okay? I'm going to read it through twice. First time to give you the big picture. Second time, I'm going to invite you to notice what moves with you. And then I'm going to walk you through A-R-R-R. All right? So let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill this place. Holy Spirit, come. In the name of Jesus, we give you permission to speak. In the name of Jesus, we give you permission to put us deep in our hearts where you dwell. In those days, in their thirst for water, the people grumbled against Moses, saying, why did you ever make us leave Egypt? Was it just to have us die here of thirst with our children and our livestock? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? A little more and they will stone me. That's the first time through. You kind of get a general sense. This time as I read it, I just want you to kind of notice what gets your attention, what moves you, what speaks to you personally. You don't have to understand what's being said. Just kind of narrow in on, oh, this phrase, for whatever reason, is standing out. Here we go. In those days, in their thirst for water, the people grumbled against Moses, saying, Why did you ever make us leave Egypt? Was it just to have us die here of thirst with our children and our livestock? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? A little more and they will stone me. I invite you to be aware of what phrase, word, or image spoke to you. And imagine you would write that on a theology test. What phrase spoke to you? You could write it down. Everyone could see it. But now what you want to acknowledge is the part you would write in a journal later on. What's coming up for you? And these categories are helpful. Thoughts. 
feelings, and desires. Accept that this is what's going on. Acknowledge this is what's happening in your heart. These thoughts, feelings, and desires. Name them for yourself. Now you want to say, you want to relate. You want to tell Jesus all about it. Jesus, I think, feel, desire, fill in the blank. Don't edit. Don't clean up. You're just kind of opening this place of you to Jesus as you talk about whatever passage took out to you. you've shared this with him, now you'll receive. At this point, you just want to calmly look upon the Lord, the one you just shared your heart with, and receive. Does he give you a word? Do you have an image of him? Do you have a sense of how he seems towards your heart as you shared it with him? Are there new thoughts coming? Do you feel your body just relaxing? To receive is the most fruitful thing you can do. Nothing's happening or you are just flooded with another thought that you think might be a distraction. Tell Jesus all about that. Jesus, I'm, I'm distracted. I'm thinking about a million things. Or Jesus, it feels just like nothing. And as I'm waiting on you, I don't like this. Or if it's beautiful, Jesus, I love this. Be honest with your God. There is nothing wrong in relationships with love. There is only new places of being shared and being vulnerable. And then finally, it's the response. The response here can be a choice to savor. If something's leading you to Oh, maybe I need to repent. You can just say, Jesus, I'm sorry for and repent. Or maybe there's something concrete. Maybe for you, you were thinking of people during this time, and you know there's someone you want to encourage tonight or call or whatever way you can respond. You can choose to engage what the Lord was doing.
Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Like I said, these are kind of odd categories, but they're the dynamics of any relationship. And the more you practice this and incorporate it into your time at Mass, your rosary, your praying with Scripture, the more you will discover God is a person and He communicates with me. And you'll learn and grow in your ability to feel His promptings, which are always kind, always curious. And as you do this, you will grow in confidence to share your heart with him. And as you share your heart with him, you will not be plagued as much with fear, abandonment, rejection, shame, confusion, hopelessness, but rather you will be filled with the gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit, like joy, hope, peace, understanding, wisdom, counsel, fortitude, your life will be animated by the creator of the stars and you will be no longer an orphan, but in your bones you will know what happened to you at baptism. That you are God's like incredibly loved son and daughter, especially in the moments in your life where you felt so unloved. All the more does he want to be near to you. And so what I'd like to do tonight is I'd like to give you my blessing and then we're going to sing that final closing song and um, I will be up here at this point. The last two nights you've noticed I hide. It takes a lot of me, out of me to do this and I just wait till the last night. So I'd like to send a, I'd like to give you the blessing and a priest's blessing is simply this. I get to give you the Father. That's what I give you in a blessing. I give you God, I give you Jesus' dad. Because he's your dad. And so I'm going to pray over us and then give you my blessing. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Father, send your blessings upon everyone here. Father, move in their hearts even more deeply than any of the other nights. Continue to move. There are people here, Lord, who you know so tenderly are walled off in a prison of anger and unforgiveness. Just let them know you're in no rush. There are people here who are struggling with addictions that they've never even called addictions. Let them know you smile upon them and you already know. There are people here, Lord, who are so self-assured that they think, I got this, I know. Smile at them like a five-year-old who thinks they can drive. There are people here, Lord, who they just, they, they like you as an idea, but this idea of intimacy and vulnerability is both attractive and scary. Let them know you enjoy one step at a time. And God, fill this parish. Let this parish be like a nuclear silo radiating into the town of Wadsworth. Not the attitude of we are right, but the two faces of you and our neighbor. Let this place radiate the heart 
and be a place where people can come with their hearts and be seen, known, and loved. Send the Holy Spirit down upon us right now, Lord. Anyone here who holds resentment towards mom, tell Jesus, I resent my mom. Please help me. Anyone here who's addicted to drinking or porn, let's just know Jesus is with you. Anyone here who just, is, just doesn't want to do this anymore, did it for a few nights and said, okay, I can't do the heart anymore. I got to keep going. Coraggio, have courage. You are made for more. Do not be afraid or settle. God himself knows and is with you. And Lord, and for the two priests here, Father Joe and Father Pat, we ask that you father them deeply. And through the sacred heart of Jesus, the immaculate heart of Mary, St. John Paul II, and all the angels and saints, may God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's sing our final song together.
Thank you.